We get feedback from people who are uh, excited about what we're doing. We get feedback from people who are angry with our message. And we have had situations where we've been asked to leave town. So sometimes it works and sometimes it works maybe too little too good. Welcome to Arts in, AI for short, the podcast by Creative Pinellas. This is Barbara St. Clair, your host, and I am here with Adriana Kelder of the Caravan Stage Company. The Caravan Stage Company is very unusual. It is both a performing arts organization and also a boat. There's a fantastic story behind it, so I'm going to ask Adriana to start us off by explaining a little bit about the Caravan Stage Company how it started, what it is, and what it does, which are two different things. (laughs) Well, the history is rather long. We started in the early 70s when we were young and foolish. Now we're just old and foolish. Um, But we started with the whole premise of bringing theater and live entertainment to the rural areas, to people that don't normally get theater and you know take it out of the black box so that's why we started we built wagons we uh, acquired large draft horses most and most of them were matching bay clydesdales and then performed in a large tensile tent and toured from town to town so now this is in the 1970s right and and so you must have chosen to have your traveling theater be um, pulled by horses rather than just put it on a truck. Yes, it was a choice of ours. It it's brought life and traveling to um, to a heartbeat. And as you travel, you you connect directly with the people that you come through. And because overnight we'd have to find places to to camp, we'd have to put the horses up in fields, and so all the farmers would know that we were coming. And we would pitch our tents, and then in the morning go off to the next place. And so it would take a few days to get to our destination. We were BC based, which is British Columbia, and then we actually toured. Down the, down the coast into Washington, Oregon, and California, right up until the 1980s. We had a, a large gathering of professional actors and technicians, which we needed as a troupe to get down the road and to put the tent up and to the sound equipment and the lighting and everything that's needed. So it was, it's, we became a troupe. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people would come back from year to year because the the season would be somewhat short when you're in the northern hemisphere. Of course, you can only work when the summer's good because it's all outdoors. And then we would break for the winter and then start up again the next year. So we did that for 20 years, roughly. And then we decided we wanted to go a little further. So uh, rather than going five miles an hour, we decided, well, let's build a boat. Now, did you have any history with boats? Um, Paul, part, my partner Paul did. He actually, he raced when he was a young lad, uh, but that was with dragons. We'd never built a boat, but, and I'd never done any sailing. 
Um, we first thought, well, we could maybe get a boat donated because we're, you know, we're, we're a nonprofit, so a charity, so it's not that hard to get things donated. But when someone likened uh, a used boat to a used car and our relationship with cars was never very good, we decided, wait a minute, this is not what we want. And, you know, when you start talking and the idea builds, you, you start to attract other people who are get excited about it. And people said, well, why don't you build it? And, well, we said, oh, my God, that's we're not boat builders. And they said, yeah, but we'll help you out. And so in the town where we were, uh, which is in Ontario, there were three people. We called them the three amigos. And one was a manager of a marina who said, well, if you build this boat, I'll provide you with the space and you can have all the power you want. And the other one was a marine engineer and he says, I'll help you with the design. And the other was a sailmaker. He says, I know all about boats. I can I can build your sails. So it was like, whoa, it was, they were like handing it to us. They were saying, do it. We're there beside you. We're, you know, let's do it all together. And so then once, once you start to get rolling and once you get, once you're, you're, you decide what your plans are, it, it, you know, other people follow. It takes and on a life of yeah, its own. Yeah, it does. It takes, totally takes on a life of its own, and that's what it did. It took us four years to build this boat, and we learned an, an awful lot. Um, the money, of course, we didn't have, so we had to find means to get uh, com companies and corporations to donate in-kind mostly. A lot of people donated their time, their energy, their services, and so voila. Four years later, we had a boat to sail away. And that was 1997? Yes, 1997. I guess I'm a nomad at heart. I grew up traveling all over when I was young. I never had really one home. Um, I had one family, but we moved around. My parents immigrated to Canada from Europe when I was very young. So I, it's in my blood, it's in my nature. I don't really like staying in one place too long, so it just suits me just fine, this lifestyle that we've chosen for ourselves. Tell us a little bit about the boat, because even just talking about, all right, you built a boat, you know, it was really easy to see like a small boat or a, you know, medium size, but this is a pretty big boat. Yeah, she's 83 feet on deck. So overall, she's 90 feet, you know, when you think of the bowsprit, and then we have a transom deck. And she's 21 feet wide. So and then she's basically a box, because the... the the type of boat we chose with the help of our three amigos who said that we could build one in 10, 10 months, uh, which we believed at the time. Um, it's shallow draft, so we can come to places where if you have a keel, you can't come. And so, which is fine because that's what we're doing. We're doing theater. And we have a, a, a large, uh, we have a large salon. We have a large space down below for accommodating the performers and the technicians. We have 20 people right now that are living on board. And we have a clear deck, so there's no boom that gets in the way that we have to remove. So we have a performance space. And now, over the years, we've built this truss high up in the rigging, which is another platform where we can perform off of and where we can suspend aerial artists and more lighting. So there's there's a lot of potential with this type of design for a boat. 
And I think we've sort of maximized every bit of it. Did you, from the time you started on the boat, did you always have aerialists or did... Yeah, we did have, we have always had aerialists. Because that seems to me something that's kind of unique. Well, less and less so, you know, since Cirque has become very popular, uh, having aerialists in, the, in theater has become more commonplace. But we have the ability to fly people, so... And we have this huge space that we have to fill. So it makes sense to use it all. Okay, so the boat is a, essentially a traveling stage and living environment for a theater troupe. And it, it, it can transport itself around, you know, from port to port. Yes. And you come to a port, and similarly to when you had your, your wagon with the horses, you come to a location, and you... We set up. We set yes. up. Yeah, we don't put up a tent anymore, but, and so we don't have that rain protection that we had when we were a tent theater. Um, but the specifics of doing the theater that we do is that it's very site specific. Like we can't just go anywhere. There has to be room for the audience. It has to be protected so that our, there's not a lot of wake or wind that are going to affect the, the movement of the ship because up high, it's 30, the truss is 30 feet up. From the deck, so if you can imagine, it's sh it's rocking at the bottom. It's going to really be rocking at the top. So, so those are the the problems that we face in finding places to perform. So, where are you located now? Now we're at Pointer Park, which is right next to the University of South Florida St. Petersburg, on Third Street South, uh, right opposite the Pointer Institute, and we're doing shows there April. 4th to the 8th and the show starts at 9. It has to be dark because we need the darkness for our light because there's a lot of video too. We're, we've dropped we've dropped a huge scrim from the the top of the, the truss. It's a huge fabric that we project on for a lot of video imagery that is part of the story that we tell. So who develops the show? Uh, Paul and I do. We mm -hmm. uh, together. We he does most of the writing. I I help him with the edits, and I do the designing. And then we have people that we work with who do the music. So um, the shows that you do are original. Yes. And they each have a theme. The and tell us a little bit about the theme for this year's show. Well, the theme for this year's show is about climate change, and that's not a new one for us. We've done shows about climate change for a long time. But this one is about climate refugees and the oil industry, and it takes place not too far in the future when there's only one person surviving, a young woman, after a large tsunami, and four monarch butterflies. And the monarch butterflies represent migrants, as, as monarchs do. They migrate all the way down to Mexico. And uh, they fight the fuel industry that has survived and that's run by robots because they have no heart. Mm -hmm. That's the gist of the story, and it's all sung. Okay, so you mentioned a truss that's 30 feet high, and so the performance, a lot of the performance is aerial, and a lot of it is done by acrobats or people who are very mm -hmm. trained to... Um, use their bodies in space quite dramatically and quite physically. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yes, I mean, we have four aerial artists. Actually, one's more an acrobat than an aerialist. And, and they're also dancers. They're very, they're very uh, expressive in their movement. 
and they play monarch butterflies so they're in the air and they're also playing characters and these characters are also singing but that this is recorded because it's very hard for aerialists to sing and perform at the same time but they're also singing we have these recordings in four different languages to represent the world I mean, there's more than four languages in the world, but just to give a taste that there are a lot of people out there that are need our help. And the languages are Spanish, Arabic, Mandarin, and Hunkaminen, which is a language of the Salish people in the Northwest. Because this story and our tour is eventually going up to British Columbia. And that's one of the tribes that live in that area of which most of the languages up there is becoming quickly extinct. So how long does it take to develop a show? Let's say starting from a kernel of an idea and even how does that kernel of an idea get created and then what are some of the steps to take it from inspiration to true performance? Well this one has taken um, a good two years because we had last year we did have take time out because uh, Paul had to go through some heart surgery, which put us down for a while. But so we took advantage of the time to uh, re do a lot of research. We went up and we got all the recordings done, worked with, uh, workshop the piece. You, you write the piece, you, you have it, you try to get it workshopped by people that you trust and know that you work with, and you get their feedback, make the changes. And then depending on how much time, because sometimes we don't have a whole two years to put a show together. Sometimes we do it in one winter. So a lot of the creative stuff, you, get, you have the basics, but when you get the whole company together, when you have all the, the choreographers, the composer, and all, you know, the sound engineer, and, all, and the video designers, and all the other people that are help makers, that's when it really gels, and that's when everybody's input gets put into the pot and it flourishes. Now, do you usually work with the same people in different shows, or is it coming together as a collective each with new people it's each both. time? It's both. Like here, we're working with a lighting designer from, from this area. His name is Joe Oshry. And there's people that have come and who have worked with us for the past two or three years. Because we... Um, we are not funded by any government organization. A lot of the people come and they work as volunteers. And they do so also because we create a community of artists that it's sort of creative chaos, as you know any creative endeavor usually is, but these people come together. We find the place where they can all live, we house them, we, we feed them, and it's a it's quite a potpourri. So you you brought the boat to the St. Petersburg area about a year ago. Yes, we came down from the East Coast. This is after uh, Paul had his heart surgery. So then we wintered part of the time in La Belle, Florida, which is in the Okeechobee, until we could find a, a place where we could put a production together. And we have had a history of being in St. Petersburg in the past. From 1998 to 2003, we wintered here in St. Petersburg and we docked at the 
at the College of Marine Science, where we were from May of last of last year until just recently. We moved to our, our location where, where we are right now at Pointer Park. And while we were here for those four winters, we opened our show here in St. Pete. We did the, the New Year's Eve event at uh, the Vinoy Basin in the year 2000. And when the, where we are now is where the Dolly Museum used to be. I think you know that. And that's where we opened quite a few shores. Before, we would go on tour, go all over, and sometimes all the way up to Chicago, come back, and then we would winter here in St. Pete and then repeat the process. So when you talk about going to Chicago, did you go up the river? So? Yeah, there's an ICW, Intercoastal Waterway, that you can go up that goes all the way up. It's quite protected. And you we only needed to get out to the on the Atlantic uh, when we came out of Delaware Bay. And then we would go out and into the Hudson River, right, right by Manhattan. Go all the way up the Hudson River into the Erie Barge Canal. And it's a lot of traveling. We're now looking at New Orleans, maybe Pensacola, and then go to Galveston in Texas before we get the boat gets shipped to the west coast of Vancouver Island because there's no way our humble little ship can go up the Pacific. Right. So let's say it's opening night here in St. Pete. Help me understand what the experience for the audience is going to be. Well, I don't I don't want to say too much because otherwise I'll blow all the surprises. Well, no, no, that's hard. <laughs> but like, I mean, where, you know, you, where do you, if you're in the audience, you, you're not on the boat, you're somewhere else, right? Yeah. So, yes. People will come and we're, the ship is facing a grassy park, and they will sit either, either they'll bring their chairs for, for their best comfort, or their blanket, and they'll sit on the grass, or there's, there'll be some bleachers that the city is providing. And then some of the action takes place in the audience, mm -hmm. uh, because the lead character, as she's singing, and as she's fighting what we call the Swallowworts, who are, are the evil... Uh, oil twins that are orchestrating the oil refinery up in the truss, who are two actors, very talented young people who have worked with us in the past, who have this large mask on that's light and blinking, and they're singing in their beautiful operatic voices. She's fighting them, and she's also communicating with these monarchs who are trying to recover themselves from the devastation of of the world uh, and after this huge tsunami. And so if, if the audience sits there, they'll, they'll either enjoy the singing of Canandra, uh, who is the lead character, or they'll watch the aerialists do their performances because they're all playing a part, or they'll watch the, the imagery, the video imagery that also tells a story that helps highlight or they'll watch the two Swallowwort twins as they strut their stuff. Mm -hmm. So how long does the show last? It's about 70, 75 minutes. So it's quite jam-packed. And is this something that is for adults and children? or? Yes. Uh, it's, this one is, is pretty kid-friendly. Mm -hmm. But it definitely has a political message. Mm -hmm. There is a segment of the show 
where we have four young kids who play the future generation. And they and the, the woman who plays the lead, Canandra, they ask her questions. It sort of helps tell the story and bring it down to a younger level. And so we auditioned a whole bunch of kids from the area, and we found some incredible performers. And they came out for a couple of weeks, and we filmed them really right close to here on the beach. And around a campfire, she tells a story, and they ask... And they ask the pertinent question that the audience would ask. And so this is segments that are interspersed throughout the show. And we're taking that with us all the way through. Oh, fantastic. Mm -hmm. that, that's great. Uh, nice for the St. Pete kids and nice yeah. for the people who are going to get to see it. Yeah, yeah. When I looked at your website and saw some of the shows that you've done in the past, it does seem that they're very focused on the environment and on, um, and you mentioned here earlier that this was not the first uh, show that you've done about climate change. Right. So what what is your focus then in terms of the messaging that you want to share with people who come to the show? Well, we'd like people to consider the dilemma that we are in as far as as a, as a people and um, try to make changes. Try to, try to inform the people to be more informed, I guess, and to try to get them more involved in the issues that concern us and we hope concern everybody. Do you get that kind of feedback from people who see the show? We get both feedbacks. We get f feedback from people who are uh, excited about what we're doing and we also get the reverse. We get feedback from people who are angry with our message. And we have had situations where we've been asked to leave town. So sometimes it works and sometimes it works maybe a too, little too good. That's so interesting because when I think back on how you, in a, earlier in our conversation, you began because you wanted to bring theater to rural areas. Mm -hmm. So you began with the commitment to sharing something that audiences might have, you know, people might not yeah. get very easily. Well, in the cities, people tend to be more liberal and more educated, but not necessarily in the outskirts where people don't really have, are not really all that well informed about the world and the way the world works. It seems, though, if you get people are saying, please get out of town, you must be really touching them on a very deep level to bring that kind of, mm -hmm. you know, reaction yeah. <laughs> to what you're doing. Yeah. Or, you know, sometimes people, because the show is very, it's not, we try not to be didactic, and it's told in a, in a poetic way. Uh, the language is poetic. And sometimes people don't understand that language uh, because of TV and how it, everything is related to realism. And a lot of the things in our show are very symbolic. So if people take something the wrong way, then they will react like, like get out of town or mm. we, don't, we, don't, you know, we don't approve of this. So there's some risk involved for you when you, sh when you show up and introduce a show. There is. <laughs> so what motivates you and Paul then to 
keep, you know, you've been started in the 70s with a horse-drawn carriage. And, and <laughs> um, so it's, it's quite a commitment. Yeah. Well, I think it's it's twofold. I mean, it's it's we believe very strongly in the message that, that is in the shows. I mean, they're, they're about equality. They're about uh, women's rights. They're about their anti-racist qualities. And, and this one, climate change, which we've been doing a lot. So we believe strongly in these ideals and also the adventure. It's also a, it's traveling in a troop and working together with a group of people that you live and work with is, 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 I, I don't know if I, it's, it's a real high. It's you, you not only get everybody's commitment, but it's, you know, you just become a family and it, it just works. You know, we, we're not religious, but the theater is our religion. And then we, and when you combine it with sailing, that is our downtime, you know, because we work really hard getting the show up. We perform it and then we have to take all this time to take it down. And it is a lot of work. And then we sail and it's like, mm -hmm. and, and that's when you, and then it's a different kind of relationship you have with everybody that's in your group. Because we break up into smaller groups. You have watches, four or five people to watch. You have to really depend on those person. You While have to you're trust sailing, them. you mean. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, and then we, because we worked so for so many years, we, we have such a large family of people that we've worked with. I mean, we've got people coming and coming from Turkey, from England, from Germany, people, because we toured Europe for eight years. You know, oh. We traveled all through the northern European countries. We went all the way through the Balkans and then in the Mediterranean. And during that time, we worked with local people, a lot of the local performers. So we're still working with some of these people, and they're still coming to visit us. And it's it's such a large family that we are part of. I was going to ask you about that, because as you were describing, it seems like you've touched a lot of lives, and I wondered if you kept track with people and they're doing things maybe differently in their own lives because of their experience with you. Yeah, we do get a lot of letters of people, young people in, in particular, who have been touched by the whole, the whole idea of following your dream. You know, a lot of people think, well, this is the structure which I have to follow, and... And this is the track that I'm stuck in. And then when they come and work on the caravan, they realize, wait a minute, there are other ways. I, if I persist and I'm, if I'm true to my vision, I can make it happen. And we get that feedback. It is so rewarding for us. Could you describe to me what, what a day is like for the troupe as you're getting ready for a show? Because... I think a troupe that it's actually living together and is going to sail together, it's probably maybe different than it is in a, in, in a regular re repertory company yeah, or whatever. Yeah, it is quite different. But when we've arrived at a, at, a, at a place, we're pretty scheduled. We have to schedule our day pretty carefully. And then there's one person that wakes everybody up. The, the, the breakfast is prepared. It's usually that's rotated. And then we have we work from say nine o'clock till twelve. Lunch is prepared. We have a chef that's on board, and this time it's a woman. She's from Sicily, and she's she'll prepare the meal, 
and then we we break for lunch we have a, a, a little bit rest uh, we used to have a siesta when we were in Greece and Italy but you know depending on the on the heat then we get back after our little break and then we keep going until most of the work is done and then of course then then you have to to get ready for the lights have to go at night so it's it can be very long days and then we try to get one or two days off a week so people can rest i mean what's nice now is we are we're going to have a, a few places where we're going to run for two in Vancouver, we're going to be there for three weeks, which is unheard of for us. But the city of Vancouver is bringing us back for their 150th anniversary of the country. So we feel very honored mm. to have to have this happen. And are the shows for free or do you charge the, admission? The shows are here. They're, we're asking for donations. So they're technically is pay, pay what you can so so that we don't want to keep anybody out. But we have we're trying to sell them through a ticket agency so that we're not too many people for the space. In and most of the time the shows are free. So for somebody who hasn't seen your performance, is it does it make sense to refer to Cirque du Soleil and say it's similar, or is does it not? Well, Cirque is uh, is very spectacular, and some of our shows are spectacular. They have a lot of money, we don't, and they are more acts. I mean, they do tell a story, but we were more political for one, and there is more of a through line to our story. I mean, they have themes, I think, more than we do. I have a lot of respect for Cirque, and a lot of some of our aerialists have moved on. In fact, my son has worked for Cirque because he's a rigger, so we have a lot of connection with Cirque. But um, we're quite different. I mean, they're a corporation; we're we're just a small theater company. But you're living, you've been doing it since the 70s. Yes, but still, we're, we, haven't, we haven't grown as in, in, a, in the corporate way or commercial. We haven't gone the commercial way. Like, you know, why don't you do Peter Pan or Pirates of the Penzance? I don't sense that that was your goal, though. No. <laughs> you have a purpose. We have a purpose. I mean, we have, to, I mean, you have only one life and you have to live it to your principles. So speaking of that purpose, obviously you have to bring, you have to recruit people, you have to bring people in to do the lights, do the video, do the compositions and all that. How do you, how do you find people to bring in and share your purpose and then create a show for it? Well, it's because we've been doing it so long, uh, it's not that hard. So because you work with some, some people, they talk about their experience to other artists and then people get excited and it and even in when we were in Europe and we would be in a different country the the network is strong within artists and even you know from one country to another you know we were we would be in Holland and we would get people from Spain or Portugal or in we were in, in Greece and we would get people from all over because everybody networks within each other especially in in Europe the borders are sort of because it's all the EU and people move quite freely from one country to the next so taking us back to today what excites you and what keeps you doing this year after year and getting on the ship and <laughs> and and sailing to a new place and creating a new show what keeps you really moving and motivated i think that? it's it's uh working with a great bunch of people and it's the group dynamic that keeps 
keeps me because um, you feed off of it. I'm sure you've been in a creative environment and you feed off each other in a in a in a positive way. I mean, sometimes you know there's there's conflicts as it happens in any any situation. Um, but in the end result, if everybody is dedicated towards the end result, which is the, the, the performance, everybody pitches in and gives it their all. And I don't know, that is such a thrilling, thrilling thing. And, I, and for me also, it's the traveling. I, I love to travel. I love to go to new places. And the challenges. I am a, I'm a sucker for challenge. <laughs> <laughs> so... What was it like raising children in your nomadic theatrical environment? Um, well, it was, I think it was a, to the benefit of, uh, we have three sons, uh, t to them, because they grew up in an extended family. So it wasn't just Paul and myself who raised them, it was all the people around them. And, it, and at that time, where there were people that didn't stay just for one or two years, they were with us for up to five sometimes 10 years, every summer we would go off. So, um, and also they were given the lots of responsibility. They learned to look after the horses. They, they eventually taught people how to drive the wagon, drive teams. And they didn't get, like I, a lot of times I pulled them out of school early so that we could go on tour and I would have fights with the principals of the schools and they were saying they were as I was neglecting their education and I would say well I don't think so but all of, all of my sons ended up with masters they went they continued their education even though it wasn't through encouragement of ours but just because the thirst they had for knowledge that growing up in this environment of seeing so much and being around so many people and having the responsibility that they had at a young age it wasn't a, a closed environment. And they didn't grow up with TV. So they grew up strong and healthy. They did. So given that you have such a long history, since the 70s, um, with Paul and with the traveling show and, and with your family growing up as you've done this, are there specific moments where you, you just say that was the best show or that was the most fulfilling moment? Or, you know, well, there's been so many. Yeah. yeah. There has. I mean, sometimes it's the tour itself. And when there was one tour where we went through, we left from Vienna to go to the Black Sea, and we didn't know when we started out. We thought we had all these these sites booked out, but when when we got there, because the water on the Danube River is depending on the rain, it goes up and down. So we, when we would get there, we found we had no sight at all. So we had to make it up everywhere we went. And because there's so many bridges, the troop had to continually lower and raise the truck. It was so much work. But that, that tour for a lot of the people, and some of the people are actually on the boat right now that were on that tour, a young girl who's our engineer, was the most satisfying because... Everybody chipped in and nobody complained. It seemed like the harder we worked, the happier people were. And go figure, huh? But that's the way it was. And 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 you never knew from from you know town to town what was around the corner because you couldn't rely on the charts, you couldn't rely like Paul had to go talk to every captain that he met when he when we stopped at, at an overnight place, he'd have to and we had and we had to talk to people who 
you know, half of them didn't speak any English. Uh, but we had some local people with us who, who did, you know, who were multilingual. So those are the, those were some pretty big highlights. Next, well, we, uh, we have to get this, this ship uh, up to Canada where we started this little journey uh, in 1972 when we first built our first wagon with one puppet show. Uh, you know, I, I want to be back closer to family. My sons, although one son is in Montreal, which is a little farther away, but I miss that. I miss having my blood family around. And we're getting older. It was a bit of a scare for Paul to have to go into open heart surgery. Um, so that was a bit of a wake-up call because we're in our 70s now. So And so we, we'd like to go up to the, the West Coast and start working with some political groups up there, try to fight the, the oil industry that's bringing pipes through and destroying the environment with the First Nations people. One of our son is married to an Inuit actress, and, and we've worked with First Nations people. Actually, our first tour, we had quite a few on the boat. So I guess bring, bring the politics closer to home. In, in the meantime, if people want to come and see your show, mm -hmm. what's the best way for them to do that? Well, they can go to our website, which is caravanstage.org. The name of the show is Nomadic Tempest. Uh, they can go to Eventbrite and get tickets for that. Uh, pay what you can or the suggested donated price. and probably be available tickets at the gate. Well, thank you so much, Adriana Kelder, um, for telling us about the Caravan Stage Company. What an amazing story. Started out horse-driven wagon in the 70s, and here we are in 2017, and you have your ship. and high-tech performances. Yeah, thank you. And uh, really, congratulations on such a successful and long run. <laughs> Thanks. You've been listening to Arts In, the Creative Pinellas podcast, sponsored in part by the Pinellas County Board of County Commissioners, Visit St. Petersburg Clearwater, and the State of Florida Department of Cultural Affairs. Arts In is produced by Matt and Sheila Cowley, and you can hear more of their great work and some wonderful conversations with visual, literary, and performing artists at our website, creativepinellas.org. This is Barbara St. Clair. Thank you for listening.